0: Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you. And now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I pray that it is treating you well so far. And I want to start by saying thank you all for your continued devotion and patience and love for God's Word. It truly is an encouragement to me. And we are kind of heading towards the tail end of Season 5. And that's hard to believe that it seems like we just started. So as we continue on... Today we're talking about a very, very powerful subject that I wanted to study, and we'll give you a little bit of a history on that here in just a few moments. But I want to take the time to say thank you. I appreciate you all. Your dedication to the show, uh, more importantly to God's Word, His truth is very great, very encouraging. So I would just say to you all, Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Keep pursuing sanctification through the Word of God because it's going to be so worth it in the end. So as we move on, the title is called Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. And this is honestly is a big passion of mine this is how i conduct my classroom matter of fact i taught my students what mercy and judgment both were and how they need to be merciful with one another and it's funny cuz all those things come from the bible and you know when you're in a profession like mine where you're not allowed to read the bible if it's in your heart and that's what you speak, then that's what you speak. And so it's a wonderful thing to be able to teach these children mercy and forgiveness and grace biblically, and then have them live that out. Uh, It's really a special thing. But this study today is pretty jam-packed, and our main scripture text today is in James 2.13, which says, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus said in Luke 6.36, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. But we hear these words, and this is my challenge to you all. When you come across a word that you believe you know, ask yourself, do I really know what this word means? Because that has honestly been the source of a lot of my studies. And to be honest with you, our finale that's coming up, which will be... the heart sermon i did back in november and that honestly came from my own curiosity on what the heart was biblically and then i shifted my focus you know later on down the road to the mercy of god and it is vast and i know there are probably probably people out there that would be a lot more uh, eloquent in their definition or explanation of it so we're just going to give you what the bible says today and i'm going to give you a lot of verses that are going to explain a lot of things so i'm going to let the bible explain to you today without me doing a ton of exposition so what is mercy biblically what is mercy Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding the punishment or judgment that is justly deserved. So one way you can think about the difference between like mercy and grace, because some people will say, well, mercy and grace seem like they're the same thing, but they're actually not. So mercy is withholding the punishment that is justly deserved, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. There's a difference. And so another aspect of mercy is that it's not just empathy towards others or getting the warm and fuzzies for one another. It truly is love in action. Mercy is... Way, way more than a feeling. It is always accompanied by an action. So to really understand what mercy is, we first must understand who God is. And that what we're going to find out here, and what we're going to kind of put under a microscope, is that God is in charge of all we're gonna start in genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth it truly doesn't get any more simplistic than that god created the heavens and the earth when in the beginning before time began god is the self-existent one he is timeless he is ageless we don't understand that fully, and that's a good thing. We don't have to understand everything. That's why we have trust in God and that His Word and His ways are true. But He existed before time began. And again, we don't understand that because everything that we do is based upon time. And it's hard for us to understand. Listen to Psalm fifty twelve. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. To, uh, Psalm twenty-four one, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm eight three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Hebrews eleven three, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now, I have many, many scriptures that I could read to you right now. But I'm going to stop there because I will overwhelm you. But I'm going to read these off. So if you need to write these down, pause, rewind, Pause, rewind, however many times you need to. Here are the last bit of verses that you can look up about God, who is in charge of all things: Colossians one sixteen, Isaiah forty two five, Isaiah forty five twelve, John one three, Revelation four eleven, Nehemiah nine six, Job thirty three four job 4111 Deuteronomy 1014 Exodus 929 Exodus 195 and the last two we were actually going to read first Corinthians 10:26 for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains in Isaiah 55 8 through9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, what is the big takeaway with all these powerful scriptures? And I only read half of them, (laughs) It, it was an extensive study. But what's the takeaway? God is God, and we are not. God is God. And we are not the sun, the moon, the sky, and the earth, and all the whole universe is God's and God's alone. And who are we? Who are we? You know, Job was questioning God and God said to him, where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? Who are you? See, sometimes we think God owes us an explanation. And people have, in their haughtiness and their pridefulness, said, you know, when I die, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. No, you will not. God is perfect, righteous, holy, and full of just astounding glory. That if you see God, your reaction will not be to tell him what your emotions are tricking you and saying, "You will fall flat on your face and worship the one and only true God." His glory, and glory alone, in the glory of His face, uh, causes people to die instantaneously. That's why when Moses asked God the Father, "Show me Your glory." and he, was, he said I will show you my back parts because no one can see my face and live so he put him in the cleft of the rock and and covered him so that he would not experience that so when people say those things it's it's based off of pride and that's and that's sin so we just looked at number 1 we looked at We must understand who God is, and He is in charge of all things. Let's look at aspect number two of mercy. We must understand sin's reward, and that is judgment. And a lot of people don't understand sin. They think it's missing the mark of their their own selves. But sin, as described in the Bible, is... Transgression against the law of God and rebellion against God. Listen to these verses here. I want you to turn with me to first John five seventeen. And it says, All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. First John three, four. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Joshua 1.18. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. See how sin is rebellion against God and his word? We're seeing it pretty clear. We're only, we're only three scriptures in. Here's the last one. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God, to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place. You have been rebellious against the Lord. That's in Deuteronomy 9, 7. So we see what happens as a result of sin. It invokes judgment. And here's the fruit of sin. So this is a little sub-point of point number two, the fruit of sin. Job 4.8, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Proverbs 22.8, He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. Numbers 32.23, But if you will not do so, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Romans 6.21 Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you now are ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. And just the two verses later, for the wages of sin is death. That's the fruit of sin. Listen to Galatians six eight. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The fruit of sin is nothing good. When you when you sow a seed of sin, and when it produces a crop, it produces death and destruction, vanity. Being ashamed, death, those things are terrible. Corruption. The fruit of sin is nothing to be excited about. And now we're going to look at another sub-point of point number two, the reward of sin. Isaiah 59.2, we have quoted this many, many times. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Psalm 91, eight. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Isaiah 3.11 Woe to the wicked! It will go badly with him, for what he deserves will be done to him. People, this is the reward of... St- of sin is not something good. When we think of a reward, we want to get something good for for our efforts or whatever it is that we're doing, and it's not good. Listen to Hebrews two two, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. And I quoted this earlier, I'm gonna say it again. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. So why are we talking about these two things, these two first two points, when it's talking about the mercy of God? Well, you have to you have to understand number again, I'm going back to number one here. You have to understand who God is. He is in charge of every single thing. He ordains the sun, moon, and stars. He gives life and breath to every being on this planet. And the world and everything that contains is his. And then point number two, the sins that we commit, we have to understand it's reward. And it's not a good thing, it's judgment. And the fruit and reward of sin is If we're just going to be succinct here, it's death. The wages of sin is death. So we're going to look at point number three. We're going to look at unbelievers crying out for mercy. Now, this first passage of Scripture doesn't necessarily have an example of someone crying out for mercy, but this is what we do when we reach a point where we hear all all these verses that we just read about who God is and we read about sin and its reward. This is what should happen to the human heart and to the deepest depths of our souls. When we hear these passages of scripture that are true, that are powerful and are condemning, we, we cry out for mercy. So second Corinthians seven Eight through ten says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse ten. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, when you come face to face with your own heart and your own sin and the Bible weighs the heart, it judges the heart, and it seeks out your true motives and, who you re- and it brings out who you really are because the Bible... If you're not on God's side, it weighs you, it measures you, and it brings you to the light. It compares you to the glory of God and, and to the goodness of God and the sinless perfection that is God. And you find yourself unworthy. You find yourself thinking to yourself, how can a sinner stand just before a righteous and holy God? But some people don't even get to that point. Some people, they listen to things and they, they get defensive because it's starting to convict them. So, they, what they do is they lash out because they're scared of the truth. But I want you to listen to some examples, mostly from David. Psalm 18:6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. In this 13 verses later, in verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. When was the last time you cried out to God? not because you wanted anything not because a family member was sick not because um you were sick or there's a major stress in your life but you cried out to God because you know that you do not stand right with him i'm not saying that you can't call out to God during those times that's that's the appropriate times to call out to him but there are deeper and bigger spiritual problems than our physical ailments going on right now. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes and will find compassion. Luke 18 13. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beaten his chest or breast, saying, God, Be merciful to me, the sinner. And that is the end of point three. And point three, what we're talking about here is we're showing you unbelievers crying out for mercy. And that's all we can do. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. There is absolutely nothing that we can do based upon our quote unquote good deeds. To gain us a right standing before God. There's nothing we can do. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God. There is not one good, not even one. Romans 3. You have to understand who God is, what your sin bears out in fruit, or its, or it's reward. And I use that term loosely because it's not a reward. It's punishment, and we don't like to hear those words. That doesn't make me feel good inside. Well, the Bible's not here always to make you feel good inside. Because if you're outside of God, it is going to convict you. It is going to meet you right where you are, and it is going to expose all of the deeds of darkness that you do, that you conceal, that you think no one knows about, But understand fully that God knows your heart. He knows the secret depths of your heart, and He exposes them by His Word. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, why the Bible remains closed in many, many people's houses, because a lot of people have a Bible. They forsake to read it because they know deep down in their conscience that The Word of God is the truth, and they need Him, but they don't want to surrender. They don't want to give up what they love and what they think is true happiness and joy because they don't want to serve and submit to a Creator. They don't want to submit to God. That is basically, in its transparent sense, is why people don't come to God because they refuse to submit. And I'm going to give you some scriptures here about God's mercy. And there's different aspects to his mercy, which as I was doing this study, I was on a plane flying to Florida for a wedding, which again... I was at one point was resistant because I didn't want to be away from my children. And my wife and I went, it was a great time. But I spent a lot, a lot of time on that plane writing up this study in my notebook. So the first aspect we're gonna look about God's mercy. So point number four, scriptures of God's mercy. We're gonna look at subpoint A. It's abundant in mercy. Nehemiah 9 27. Psalm 86:5, Psalm 103:8, and Lamentations 3:32. So I'm going to read a few of these. Psalm 86:5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 103:8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's abundant in mercy. Subpoint number 2. About God's mercy, it's everlasting. First Chronicles sixteen thirty-four. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. We heard that in many, many songs. We just don't hear loving kindness too much. Psalm eighty-nine, twenty-eight. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. Psalm one hundred six one. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His lovingkindness is everlasting. Subpoint so number three, His mercy is everywhere. Psalm 119, 64, The earth is full of your lovingkindness, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Psalm 145, 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. Subpoint so number four, his mercies are new every morning. And when I'm reading loving kindness, you can translate that to mercies. Lamentations 3:22 through 23, the Lord's loving kindnesses or mercies indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And speaking of the word, great subpoint number 5 of God's mercy, it's great. Numbers fourteen eighteen. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. See, the reason why this is there is because forgiveness cannot be without faith in the Son of God. You cannot get to heaven on your own good deeds. Isaiah 54, 7. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Subpoint number six. He's rich in mercy. And these are some of the scriptures that we'll be more familiar with. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. He's rich in mercy. You see people that are are rich with wealth I and mean, they have a lot of wealth. God has a lot of mercy. Let's look at the next subpoint. So, let's go back real quick cuz there's so many there's so many aspects of God's mercy. Subpoint number 1, abundant. Subpoint number 2, it's everlasting. Number 3, it's everywhere. 4, new every morning. 5, great six, rich, seven, here it is, the new one, it's high as heaven. Psalm 36, 5, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Psalm 103, 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. Number eight, sub so point number eight, it's tender. Psalm 25, 6, remember, O Lord, your compassion, your loving kindness, for they have been From of old, and last sub point, we're saved by it. We're saved by His mercy. Titus three five, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Whew, that was quite a bit, wasn't it? So you get you get a taste of. Of God's mercy, and they're 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 different, but it's it's all encompassing, and it, and it's so wonderful to see. So, we have to go back real quick because we've hit so many different areas so fast. So, the first point we made, in order to understand mercy, we have to understand who God is, that He is in charge of all. Our second point we talked about was we must understand sin's reward is judgment. And number three, we looked at examples of unbelievers crying out for mercy. Four, we looked at scriptures of God's mercy, and now we're at number five. Scriptures of sinners shown mercy by God. Now I am going to read all these because they are so powerful. But listen to this. 1 Peter 2:10 For you once were not a people, and we're talking about a people of God, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hebrews 4:16 Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And going back to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Great mercy, great mercy, great mercy. First Timothy chapter 1, 13 through 16 says this, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, this is, now remember, this is Paul talking, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And many of us fall in that category today. Now listen to verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love of, which are found in Christ Jesus. Listen to verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Some translations say, I am the worst. Verse 16, listen to this. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, I want to go back to verse 16. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. Why? Because he realized and he came to that realization through the word of God that he was a sinner and not just sinner, the worst of all. That's how you need to feel. Before you before you are able to be shown mercy, you have to understand who you are. We are sinners, and we have no hope of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. That's why I read 2 Corinthians 5.21 and quote it all the time, because that is the gospel, and that's the only way we are able to stand just before a just God. And I'm going to quote it again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's mercy. Jesus taking our sin upon himself and giving us his righteousness. That's amazing. Point number six, we have two left. We are to show mercy to others. Jude 22 23, says, And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. See, we need to have mercy with those who are perishing, who right now are walking towards a towering wall of hellfire. We have to snatch them out of fire. That snatching Out of the fire is talking about a burning brand that you snatch out of the fire before it's completely consumed. Most people in this world outside of Jesus Christ are in the fire, and they just don't know it. They are literally the frog in the boiling pot that it's being warmed up. And if you believe there's no devil, and if you believe that you can go to heaven on your own good deeds... Satan has you right where he wants you. You're comfortable in your sin. You're comfortable in your lifestyle. You're happy with the routine. You're cool with who you are. You don't need a cure uh, for your own uh, sinfulness. Who you are is sufficient. God wouldn't dare keep you out of heaven. We have to be merciful to those people, and we need to give them the gospel. You need to give people the, the full gospel. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't water it down to because you're worrying about offending people. If you truly love people, you will give them the full, unadulterated, pure gospel. And the question is, do you know what the gospel is? And if you don't, well, listen to our previous episodes. You'll get you'll get the gospel. All right, let's look at the next passage of Scripture to talk about our sixth point about we are to show mercy to others. Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are those uh, who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I want you guys, this is your homework. I want you to write this down. I want you to study this up. Luke 6, 31 through 36. I'm not going to read it. But it's talking about uh not loving those who love you. Even sinners love to those who love them. It's talking about loving your enemies, do good, lend and expect nothing in return. Loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. That's that's the task. So I want you I want you to read those verses, study that up. Now, last point, number seven. Here we are. By mercy, we are pardoned from judgment and granted salvation. You see why I kept this at the end? Isaiah 55.7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, for he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let the wicked forsake his way. True repentance as found in Second Corinthians chapter 7, we just read earlier. And we return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned to the Lord? And I'm going to add a bonus scripture in here because I don't have this in my notes, but I have it in my notebook I just pulled out. Isaiah 45, says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Wow. Now listen. Psalm 85, 7. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. John 5 24, truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Have you passed out of death into life? James 2 13. That sound familiar? It should, because that's our main scripture text for judgment. Will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Have you shown mercy to people? Are you merciful? Mercy triumphs over judgment. God sending his Son is mercy. because on our own, we would have no hope of salvation. None. Jesus died on the cross, paid the full penalty of sin that we could never repay, we had an unpayable debt. Christ paid it. What are you going to do with that? And the last scripture that we have is Ephesians chapter 4, 4, verse 9. I want you to listen to this, and this is where we're going to end. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Beloved, our God is a God of mercy. And right now, we are in the age of grace. But one of my last exhortations to you is the time of grace will run out the patience of God will run out. And once that patience, and once that grace period is over, comes the judgment. And once you cross the line too far, you will have to stand before a just, righteous, perfect, holy God. And there's going to be Two scenarios when you're standing before God. You are either going to have no hope or the living hope. The light or no light. Jesus Christ or on your own. You will have to give an account for everything you've ever done. And if you're not in Jesus Christ, You'll have to stand on your own good deeds, and there is no one who does good, not even one. There's only one. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. He had no penalty of sin to pay for, right? The wages of sin is death. He had no penalty of sin to pay for. Therefore, his righteous, perfect, sinless life was sufficient when he Atoned for our sins by his death on the cross, he substituted his perfect life for our wretched, sinful life. His perfect obedience for our disobedience. The more I study the Bible, the deeper I go, the more I understand Christ and what he did, it is, it's just abundant in Mercy. Because what he did for us on the cross is beyond what we're able just to comprehend. We can't imagine it. Mercy truly triumphs over judgment. God has every single right to show us wrath. And he's so righteous and holy and just that if we sin the first time in our existence, he has every right to take us and judge us at that moment. So every moment that passes, every day that passes, that you don't stand before him in judgment, that is mercy. Do this with me real quick. Take a deep breath in. Now out. He just gave you another breath. Put your hand, your two fingers underneath your neck where your pulse is. Feel it. You feel that? He's giving you more time. He's giving you a heartbeat. He's allowing you to live. Your life is not in your hands. We are supposed to be stewards of the bodies that God has given us, good stewards, We're supposed to take care of it, nourish it. Don't get me wrong. It's good to eat right. It's good to work out. It's be healthy. But you don't determine how long you live. God determines that. And he gives you multiple times, multiple opportunities to choose him throughout your life. And men and women, all alike, have no excuse not to believe in him. Not one. There are many out there that try to use these persuasive arguments. Well, what about this kind of people and that kind of people? What about you? If you're listening to this and these type of studies, you have no excuse. We just got hit with a just tidal wave of scriptures. We looked at who God is. We looked at sin's reward, and the fruit of sin, and the reward of sin. We looked at unbelievers crying out for mercy. We looked at scriptures of God's mercy. We looked at sinners shown mercy by God. We looked at we are to show mercy. And then lastly, we just looked at it by mercy. We are pardoned from judgment and granted salvation. It's all there. You can't sit here and say, I don't know. It goes back to surrender. What Jesus did on the cross, and what he did on Calvary, we be, was beyond all comprehension. He saved us because he is rich in mercy and grace. And this gift of eternal life is being extended out to you by his nail-pierced hand. Come, take my hand, follow me. And most of the time, we slap it away. But there are times where we reach out and extend and grab his hand because we are drowning in our sin, just like Peter did when he was walking on the water. Remember that? He had his eyes fixated on Christ and he fell in the water because he looked left and right and got worried and the cares of the world started enveloping him. He plunged into the water and he was screaming for Jesus to save him. He was crying for mercy. Lord, please save my life. Lord, my spiritual life is in your hands. I can't do anything to please you on my own physical good deeds for my deeds are like filthy rags before you that there is not one righteous, not even one, but Lord, I believe in your righteous one. I believe in Jesus Christ. I don't know everything about him yet, but I do know that he is perfect. He is sinless. He is holy. He is God. And that he died, was buried and resurrected for me. And that I believe that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for the penalty of my sins now and forever. And that my only hope of salvation is him. And I embrace that because I believe that he is my only hope of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except through him. Lord, I give you my life. I surrender to your lordship you are the Lord, I am your slave. I will follow you all the days of my life. I give you my heart, I give you my all. I love you, Lord. Please forgive you my sins. In your Son's precious and holy name, amen. That is what God is looking for. You're not going to stand before God, righteous and holy. But if you are in Christ and with Christ, and your life is lived for Christ, at the judgment, when we have to give an account for everything we've ever done, Jesus will come to our defense and say, this one is mine, and he will look at you and see his son instead of your sin. And he will welcome you in and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ, And until next time, God bless you all.